You're listening to the Philly Young Adults Podcast. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Philly Young Adults Podcast. Jim here. Uh, have a little truth bite here, a little devotional thought. We've been going through periodically the past few months and just putting a few different scripture verses before you guys uh, with a few meditational thoughts on it, hoping to encourage you onward in your faith. And today we are going to be looking at a few passages recorded for us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And they read like this, Therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of of God. This coming on the heels of Hebrews chapter 11, which if you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, you know, is commonly referred to as the Hall of Faith. We have a multitude of examples from the Old Testament of individuals, both male and female, who live their lives in accordance with the plan of God, looking to their eternal uh, destination and use that as a constant motivator to press onward in the things that they knew God had called them to. And here in the first verse, it says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, referring back to all of those individuals that were referred to in Hebrews chapter 11, he switches gears and uses Jesus himself as the capstone for our motivation to press on in the things that God had called us to. And he says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So first and foremost, he says to lay aside every Weight. He makes a distinction here between every weight and every sin. There's two separate things that the author of Hebrews is telling us. One is to lay aside every weight, and the other is to lay aside every sin so that we can properly run the race before us. The word for weight here is just the basic word for any burden. This is actually, I believe, the only time in the New Testament that this particular word is used. But taken from the literature of that day and age, it was a common word used for any hindrance, anything that would impede on you, any burden. So it's anything that would hinder you from running that race that's been set before you. The idea is we're carrying something that God never called us to carry. I don't know if you can think of a time where... Maybe you're looking to follow Jesus, you're, you're walking with him, and you just feel heavy and burdened, you feel weighed down. Uh, perhaps this scripture can apply in that type of situation. 
where we place ourselves in situations without seeking the counsel of the Lord. We take something on that God actually never called us to take on. It can play itself out in a lot of different scenarios. Maybe one is in if you're serving in the church and you're someone who just has a hard time saying no. And so you're around the church, you're around ministry, you're around things that are happening that are good. And people ask you, hey, can you hop into this? Hey, can you serve in this? Hey, can you join in this? And you don't actually seek the counsel of the Lord. You just say yes, because it seems like a noble thing. It seems like a good thing. And you commit yourself to it. And you get three, four, five, six months down the road in that. And you realize you're weighed down. You're heavy laden. You have a weight on you that God never actually called you to carry. We find in the Old Testament a number of times, particularly as it relates to the nation of Israel, uh, where God was moving them onward and taking territory in their battles. I think of a few times, particularly when David was king and the Philistines would be pressing in around them. And it says that David, and we, he, he knows that the Philistines were his enemy. He knows that God had called them the Israelites, to to take the ground, but David at times would inquire upon the Lord, hey, Lord, do I go up and fight this battle or not? And you have times where the Lord would say, yes, go up, and it says that David would then go up and he would have victory. You have times where the Lord would say, no, don't go up, and David would heed that counsel and he wouldn't go up and God would provide some other means of getting around the obstacle or whatever it may be. You also have multitudes of examples where the leaders in Israel didn't seek the Lord's counsel and they would just naturally go up. They say, this is the enemy, we're taking the territory, and they're assuming that God would give them that victory in land. They don't seek his counsel and they go up and they lose the battle. And then they would go back and and then inquire upon the Lord, hey, why did this happen? And the reality is, is that the Lord would bring it to light from one circumstance or another, maybe a prophet or whatever, and he would say, essentially, you didn't seek me out on whether or not you should step into this particular matter. You can see this today uh, oftentimes in relationships. You may have stepped into this yourself where you didn't really inquire the Lord on whether or not this particular relationship was for you. You assumed it was because of one thing or another and you just stepped into it. And then you realize a few months down the road, this was probably the wrong move. Now, were these things sin? Stepping into a ministry that God had never called you to or stepping into a relationship that he didn't lead you in? No, not necessarily. They're just a weight that hinders you from running the race that the Lord uh, is putting before you. There's other situations where, you know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that all things are lawful for me, but they're not all profitable. We can also interpret this in a way that we're stepping into or we're allowing certain things to weigh us down that aren't in and of themselves evil, but we give them way too much place or priority in our lives. How many times have you vegged out on a Netflix series for a weekend at a time or multiple days? You got a vacation 
or you have time off from work, and instead of utilizing that time in ways that are more profitable to spur you onward in your relationship with God or the things that he's called you to, you just veg out and waste time on video games or Netflix or whatever the case may be. Are those things in and of themselves sinful? No, but they're probably a weight that hinders you from moving forward in the things that God has called you to. He says, therefore, to lay aside every weight, and then secondly, to lay aside every sin which clings so closely. We must be, in this day and age, above all others, relentless in our repentance. And there's a tendency in much of Christianity today to just downplay sin and to make excuses for it. There are absolutely no little or small offenses in the sight of God. I have a quote here that I really love from a guy named William Wilberforce in his book called Real Christianity. And he says, the problem that we see in our time is that because there is so little reverence for, for or sense of the holiness of God, we have no basis on which to take sin seriously. It is the understanding of the greatness of God that creates in the human heart the desire to please him in all things and tries not to offend him in anything. Such an attitude knows no arbitrary levels of offense. This is why such an attitude is called the beginning of wisdom in the Bible. Uh, and you can reference Psalm 111 verse 10 in Proverbs chapter 1. Verse 7, there's no little offense, there's no small sins as it relates to the Lord. You read in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul tells us to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity and passion, evil desires and covetousness, which is idolatry. He says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. And then he goes on in verse 8 and says, But now you must also put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. The standard is always Jesus Christ, not the Christians around you, not the people you grew up around or constantly run with. The standard is Jesus Christ. And we so often downplay the weight that sin has in our lives and we make excuses for it. Oh, I was raised this way. I'm used to this kind of talk. I can't help it. You know, it's just a little white lie. I'm not really stealing. I just kind of take a few things from the job that they don't actually care about or whatever. I don't, I, I don't really gossip. I just wanted people to know this particular thing or this other thing about someone. And we tend to downplay the weight that sin has. We have to be totally relentless in our repentance and in rooting out those sinful tendencies within us. And he goes on and he says, after laying aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. A few things to take note of. He says to run. He doesn't say walk. He says to run with endurance the race. It's not a meandering in a park. The Christian experience, the Christian life 
is not something with our head in the clouds kind of walking through the park whistling like it's all hunky-dory, right? This is a a race that's meant to be run with endurance, which obviously implies it's not a sprint, but it's a long distance. We're in this for the long haul. Otherwise, you wouldn't need endurance. Uh, How many have you known who have come to the faith, seemingly, super excited about the things of God, they're on fire, they're posting all over social media how good God is, and so on and so forth, and within six months it all fizzles out and you don't even see them around the church anymore or proclaiming Christ in any way for that matter. We're to look at this uh, as a long-distance run, and he says that which is set before us, right? It's our race and not another's that we're to be primarily concerned with. He says, run the race that is set before you. Sometimes we can focus so heavily on the race that other people are running and and maybe envy them because we wish we were running their race. Or we can hyper-focus on them and how poorly they're doing and in turn lose sight of the fact that while we're doing that, we're not actually running the race that God has put before us. Primarily speaking, we are to focus on our own race as above focusing on others. And I also believe what's implied here is that you don't have to go searching for the course, right? He says it's the one set before you. It is fixed before you. I have so many conversations with people just trying to figure out the will of God and what they're to do and you know what the next step is and so forth. And it's oftentimes it's it's so obviously right in front of us. He says here, you're to run the race with endurance, the race that is set before you. It's the course that you're already on. You just take the next step in that. It's typically pretty straightforward and obvious. And he says, you run that race well. And while you're doing all of these things, he says, looking unto Jesus. The idea is to behold, it's to view with undivided attention by looking away from every other object. We're to fix our gaze upon Jesus as we're laying aside every weight, as we're laying aside every sin, as we're running our own race that's been set before us with endurance, we behold Jesus. There's distractions all around each and every one of us, and they vary. But we're to keep our gaze, the gaze of our mind and heart, upon the Lord of glory. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, Jesus would say, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And the idea of what he's communicating there is if your eye of, if the eye of your mind is fixed solely in one direction— the whole body will be full of light. If you're not distracted and caught off, you know, turn into the left hand and to the right hand, focusing on, on all these other things. If the eye of uh, the eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eye is healthy, if it's fixed on the proper thing, your whole body will be full of light. It's the same idea that the Hebrew writer is communicating to us, looking unto Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He himself is our chief example. And it says that Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, he despised the shame and is now seated at the right hand 
of the throne of God. Our example is the Savior and Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And if you think about his life and what he accomplished, uh, you realize pretty quickly that he maintained throughout the entirety of his life an eternal perspective. He was constantly focused on doing the will of the Father, and he was invigorated to press on and to endure the tremendous opposition of the cross. How many times was he tempted to be pulled from that course? And it says that he was fixed like a flint on Jerusalem, right? He was not moving from that course for anything or anybody. It says in the Gospels, even his siblings, his brothers and mother came to him at different times and tried to draw him away for one reason or another. They said, your, your brothers and your siblings, your mom is outside calling for you. He said, who is my mother? Who is my brothers? But those who do the will of my father. He would not be moved, not even from the closest of ties, you know, the family. And oftentimes we can have these different things that want to pull us from the course that we know God has set us on. And I pray that you will draw strength from this idea, if that's your situation, that Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, was not pulled from his course, not for anything, not even from his own mother or brothers. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And he despised the shame, right? Think about all that he heard in the temptations to not go through with it. He had the devil in the wilderness. He had his family trying to pull him from it. He had his own disciples who said, not so, Lord, you are not going through with this. What did he say? He rebuked them. Get behind me, Satan. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He attained the victory in the long run. He had his eyes fixed on eternity, and it is that in and of itself which gave him the endurance he needed to press on through all of the difficulties that came, the shame that he felt because nobody understood what he was doing and why, the temptations to be pulled from it. He had his eyes fixed on glory. And it was that that allowed him to endure and to press on the race that was set before him. And we have him as our chief example. So if you are one of those young adults who is looking to follow the Lord's will for your life and you find yourself up against some difficulties, I pray that you would draw strength from this devotional thought that the writer of Hebrews lays before us. And the encouragement that we have is take some inventory and think, is there any weight that I'm allowing to hinder my progress in my relationship with the Lord? And it could manifest itself in a number of different ways. What the writer says is to immediately lay that aside. Whatever it is, let it fall away. And if you have sin that you've been allowing to take root in your heart, you got to root it out. Repent from it, turn from it, and press onward in the race that you have set before us. And fix your eyes on the Savior, Jesus Christ himself, 
and allow him to be your chief examples. Maybe you don't personally have a ton of phenomenal examples in your immediate circle of what it is to be a Christian and how you are to live this life in accordance with God's will. Let Jesus Christ himself, through the Gospels, be that example for you. And if that is what you do every single day, waking up, fixing your eyes upon Jesus, every day laying aside the weights, every day laying aside the sin, every day committing yourself afresh to run the race that's set before us, you will find yourself in the center of God's will. And when it's all said and done, you will find yourself around the throne of God when he decides to call you home and it will all be worth it. So I pray that this idea that's put before us in scripture is an encouragement to you today. As always, we ask that you would email in any questions that you may have at ya at ccphilly.org. God bless and love you guys.